Why are you upset that I'm angry? I was born angry. That was my mentality most of my life until I realized how wrong I am. Many people have the same exact mentality and society enables them to continue thinking that way. You were born a certain way, you're going to die a certain way. You have a certain lust, you have a certain spiritual deformity, you're going to die that way. And more power to you for it. In so many words, weakening the weak. The reality is that the Musar teachers teach us the exact opposite. You're supposed to use Musar to perfect yourself, to become better. But how can we if these things have become our natural inclination? where we've become so accustomed to these things, we simply think that this is just the way it's supposed to be. So are we supposed to be this way? Are we supposed to not be this way? Okay, fine. Even if we agree we're not supposed to be this way, how do we change? This and much more is going to be discussed tonight. How to change these natural inclinations, things that you've become so accustomed to, you pretty much think they're as much a part of you as you are of them, and much more. You'll enjoy it, you'll relearn it, and share it. Every Sunday, Tuesday and Wednesday, with Hashem at 9 o'clock, different series, different lecture, always Baruch Hashem, new material from the Torah. B'Shem Hashem Na'asev V'Natzliach, Shiur Torah, Buchim Ba'im, Shavua Tov, we're uh, starting a new week, a new week full of uh, extraordinary Torah, Baruch Hashem, that we can learn, that we can apply to our lives, whether a person's young or old, male or female, Jew or Gentile, there's certainly many things that a person can learn from the Holy Torah. Uh, to affect their lives, to make themselves a better human being, a better servant of Hashem, uh, and certainly a, uh, a person that's happier with life, uh, especially with everything that's going on in the world. Tonight's uh, shiul is going to be for the refuah shlema for Rabbanit Sarah Bat Anat, Rabbanit Levana Bat Sarah, Rabbi Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Avi Mori David Ben Asriya, Imi Morati Doris Bat Jora, and also for the Atzlacha Rabbah for all of Am Yisrael, all of the righteous Noahides that continue to learn with us, continue to share the Torah, support the organization, uh, and anybody that wants to sponsor any of these lectures and all the Baruch Hashem, the behind the scenes that goes on at the organization, whether it's the food distributions uh, in Israel or it's the uh, different short films that we've made, full films, the CDs, the USBs, the free books, all the wonderful things that the organization does and the employees behind it, uh, you could uh, donate on our website, beezrathashem.org, uh, or if you want a shorter spelling, just go to bhtorah.org, bhtorah.org, that's B as, as Be'ezrat, H as in Hashem, Torah is T-O-R-A-H dot org. Over there you can contribute as much as your heart allows, uh, and of course as much as your bank allows. So, with that being said, uh, we have uh, a continuation of our series of the Jewish Ashkafa, which is the Jewish ideology, better said, even as the Torah ideology. What is a person really expected to think like? You know, there are countless questions that come uh, to me on a daily basis uh, in different ways. And uh, generally speaking, 
you see that people ask the same questions. You know, even if one is born in Mexico and the other one is Mexico City and the other one is in Arizona and the other one is in Los Angeles or is in Vegas or is in New York or is in T Dallas or Australia or Switzerland or uh, wherever they are in the world or Israel. Wherever they are in the world, generally speaking, people have the same type of questions, the same types of battles, uh, whether it's family issues, children issues, learning issues, financial issues, business issues. Uh, the questions generally are the same, you know, across all walks of life. We all have the same type of questions. Of course, we all have our own unique problems. And our, and our goal is to try to get people to understand what the Torah's opinion is about everything, what the Torah's commandment is about everything because that means that the instructions that you're getting is not from a feeble human being that came from a putrid seed but rather you're getting advice from the Torah itself you're getting advice directly from God and the uh, the beautiful thing about the Torah is that everything is covered in it everything you can possibly imagine is in the Torah regardless of what subject matter it's about regardless of what year it's uh, referencing to uh, and the beautiful thing about the Torah is that the most pertinent parts of your life are usually the easiest things to find material about and that's one of the things that we want to discuss because many times we see that the recurring issues that happen in different homes uh, marriage issues or, or children or, or financial or all types of things like that are uh, typically these are the issues that uh, you know people ask the most about uh, and people want the most improvement uh, in those particular things uh, but yet they when you give them the advice such as watch this specific lecture or read this specific book many times people will either say you know I don't have time or they'll simply say yes and just not do it or they'll want an easier answer uh, and even though you see sometimes people do dedicate themselves to learning Torah uh, and they watch your shulim there will be times where you'll see a unfortunate situation more common than you think actually where somebody's watching the lectures but is not changing at least not changing as rapidly as you would like for them to be as rapidly as they would like for them to be uh, and in fact many times you see that there is a huge variance between students a huge variance between how one person grows versus how another does now, if we simply contribute everything to IQ, to intellect, then, you know, this lecture would simply be a waste of time because it's not up to you how smart you are. You were born a certain IQ and that's pretty much it. But the truth is that it has nothing to do with IQ. It has nothing to do with your level of intellect. It has to do a lot more with how you're actually learning, how you're actually learning what you're learning and what you're applying to your life. And many times a person is going to watch this particular lecture and is going to uh, be forced to look in the mirror for the first time, even though throughout all of the lectures and the books and everything else that they've done, typically they have a much easier time looking at the person next to them, looking at the person behind them, not necessarily looking at the person in the mirror because this is about you. Whoever you are that's watching it today or in 20 years from now, this lecture, this whole lecture was for you, for you to succeed in your servitude of Hashem, in your growth spiritually and morally, and really to separate yourself from the upside down world that we live in today, that uh, admires the, uh, the weakness, 
so much that they actually empower weakness they want people to remain weak by letting them know that you were born this way you're gonna die this way you can't change because you were born a certain way or they simply just decide that everybody is weak even if no one actually agrees with them they're simply going to declare everyone as weak and unchangeable and the truth be told is that anytime somebody does want something bad enough they find a way to change it the key is to try to learn enough about the advantage of change that you actually start desiring the change so the chazonish has actually told us that there is this concept called or atzachot Oratzachot is the divine light of Hashem that's brought down to this world where through this light, through this vessel, if you will, Hashem brings all of the sustenance, all of the good that's in this world go through this light. And the ultimate objective of moral teachings, of Musar teachings, which we also like to call character development, is to ignite this Oratzachot, this light of refinement that's in everybody's soul now if a person is still alive they have some part of it they have some part of it how much of it is shining or not all depends on how they behave if they're a stellar character they're an honest they're an ethical they're a modest uh person they're beautiful inside and out in in, in their in their behavior then certainly this light is shining more than the average person if they're a crude rude you know thief uh, an immodest immoral person constantly yearning for attention constantly looking to be the center of attention willing to do anything and everything possible to win even if that means killing everybody on the way insulting everything and anything that's opposite of whatever their opinion is even if their opinion is not necessarily a hundred percent fact that person obviously has a much dimmer light if a light at all you know it's it's so dim that you pretty much think it's completely off so all of us have met both types of people or at the very least the latter one we've all met those types of people perhaps we've ever we've even been those people where at times of our life it seemed like we were shining we were like we had some type of divine light on us that everything was just beautiful even ugly things turn into beautiful we were just happy just by being alive we saw every negative as oh this is an opportunity to do something good we saw the best in others we were our best we didn't lose our minds you know over small things and we've had those types of times but yet at the same token we've probably had more times where we were the opposite where we were pessimistic about everything even if it was good news we just were waiting for it to turn bad somebody wanted to give us a gift we were looking for what's the catch somebody wanted to give us an offer and we were looking to see are they trapping us we had something that looked beautiful but we were looking for what's wrong with it this happens too where we simply look at the negative in everyone we look at the negative in everything in fact we even see everything negative in ourselves except the most pertinent parts which is negativity in self and it seems like during those times we were born to be this way we were born to be negative we were born to be pessimistic we were born this way and when we talk to people they agree with us they say yeah listen yeah you're right but maybe you should what do you mean if I'm right why should I change so you go to society you go to your friends your family to the psychiatrist 
and many times they're simply going to support your idea especially if it's negative because negativity usually is more more in line with honesty than 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 positivity positivity is viewed as if you're overly pessimistic overly optimistic whereas pessimism is like yeah you know listen this is just the world you just got to deal with it so the question is if we have this natural inclination that's negative and many of us have at least a few that we know off the top of our head if you can't remember them just remember what was the last argument you had with your loved ones with your spouse with your boss with your employees whatever they're complaining about you that's what's wrong with you yeah but how do you i know they're right because if they're complaining about it usually they're not making it up no one is going to call you a thief if they've never seen you do something wrong no one is going to call you an angry monster if they've never seen you lose your uh, your mind no one is going to just simply make up something out of nothing about you they may make up something about something else but not about you so if people are complaining about you needless to say if it's more than one person and on a regular basis usually that means there's something to it so if you were born this way like i used to think myself i was born angry therefore i'm gonna die angry therefore i cannot change so what do you want i'm just this way well yes you may be that way but the point of the torah is to change that so how do you change this natural inclination the chazanish taught us last week that this light of refinement on the soul is one that is going to be the main point that you should be looking for in your development meaning that if you want to get rid of the negativity that you have the pessimism the anger the stinginess the arrogance the laziness the whatever don't try to fight this darkness with sticks as Robert Fryam says anyone that's fight darkness with sticks only gets hurt themselves you can't fight darkness with sticks the chazoni says the only way that you can fight darkness is with this in other language in other words the chafetz chaim stated the only way to fight to fight this darkness this spiritual darkness is by creating more light so how do we create this light how do we create this light that is in essence going to not make the darkness disappear because we no longer are angry but rather the happiness the humility the state of contentment that we have the faith in Hashem that we have the confidence in Hashem that we have the knowledge that we have is so great that all of that darkness just simply ceases to exist because it's now overcome by the light so how do we get this light to become our natural tendency of course all of us want this you know every single second and the truth is we can get it but it requires a lot of effort now in this section the Chazoni says that the reason for the big discrepancies between different students when it comes to the efficacy of studying Musar teachings is this specific light. 
Why is this specific light? Because sometimes the improvements that a person gets from this Musar teachings are quick, visible, noticeable. Yet sometimes the natural tendencies resist any attempt for change. The reason is that the intensity of their light is not equal. What for one is bright light, close to refinement of the soul, for another, it's a feeble light, far from strong. So to clarify what the Chazonish is saying here, is again he's speaking to us in a clear language, yet a language that requires a little bit further knowledge. The Mishnah in Masechet Avot says that each time a person makes a mitzvah, does a good deed, according to God, not according to society, because society may tell you that uh, bad things are good, as they do on a regular basis. Just today, uh, the uh, Spanish government passed a a law that uh, is now uh, removing the uh, illegality of bestiality. In so many words, men and, uh, and women, uh, you know, with animals can now become a standard if you live in Spain. If you've been watching my lectures for long enough, this is not a surprise to you. We spoke about this at a major event about nine months ago. Uh, the 50th level of Tuma, it's called. And literally, everything that's discussed in the Torah 3,334 years ago about all of the immorality that's happening in the world at that time and what's predicted for the future is literally happening in front of our eyes this being one of them so of course they think that they're right they think that men and animals not a problem as long as you don't hurt the animal just don't be mean to the animal now if you listen to society you're simply going to become an animal but while you're trying to remove yourself from this animalistic behavior and become more human according to your creator's uh, definition then of course every time you do a good deed every time you do a mitzvah commandment you create an angel that angel is now going to empower you to be more inclined to make more good deeds in addition to allowing more of that light more of that light of to come down upon you because each time you've done another good deed you've chipped off a piece of what's called a klipa a shell a spiritual shell that's on your soul that was created by bad deeds because each time a person does a bad deed a sin they create a demon they create a bad angel but in addition to that bad angel that's inclining you to do more bad deeds more sins more immorality more heresy more atheism more idolatry he's also creating a shell around himself the person that's making the sins is creating a shell amount around themselves that is making that light a little bit more a little bit weaker not that the light itself is weaker but the impact that it has on your soul it becomes weaker it's sort of like if you have you know a uh, one of these uh, flashlights it's very strong like the police have and a different uh, uh, you know types of professions have they have these very strong lights but if you block that light with 
a few pieces of cardboard, perhaps a piece of wood, maybe even some cement, obviously the light is going to have a very hard time reaching the other side, even if it's the strongest light man ever seen. So each time a person makes a sin, each time they act out on their anger, each time they act out on their stinginess, each time they act out on their arrogance, their pride, and needless to say, each time they act out on their immorality and immodesty and bestiality and all the other filth in society, this creates another layer on the shell and makes the shell itself thicker and thicker. So even if there is this divine light coming down, it will not have as much a impact on that pure soul that's you so the chazoni says that the reason why there's a great discrepancy between different students when it comes to how they're impacted by actually learning this musar this very same subject we've been talking about that is the cure for spiritual cancer is because sometimes you'll see that one student is impacted relatively quickly from hearing the lecture while the next student that heard the same exact lecture and paid attention the whole time also is not impacted the same way sometimes not impacted at all why because it all depends on how thick their klipa is how thick this klipa is how many sins have they made until now how many addictions have they developed not just addictions to drugs and sex but even addictions to simply certain mindsets how much more of it are they allowing themselves meaning how much they have actually made these addictions these sins into their natural inclinations where even if they hear something good it's only a matter of minutes or at best hours before they add another layer to their klipa to darken out that light that came in or at least tried to come in so the reason is that the intensity of their light is not equal is because for one it's bright while the other one it's feeble based on where their soul stands now the more perfect a neshama is the less they need to be taught the same subject repeatedly whereas the more materialistic that they are the more they need to repeat that particular lecture that particular teachings this is the answer that i got from a refrain when i asked them well, how does somebody know that whether they are improving or not? He said, if you read a book, a Musar book full of truth, you watch a lecture full of truth, if you actually get impacted by this lecture, not just by gaining knowledge, not just by having a intellectual stimulation but it impacts your soul to the point where you have to take action you see the deficiency in yourself 
you immediately realize, I have to do something about it. You are tuned in such a way where when you hear it, you immediately react where this is me. Not this is him, not this is her, or not, oh, you know what, so-and-so should hear this. But rather, oh, that's me. Yeah, I got to do something about that. Well, you know what? Yes. Okay, hold on. Rewind it again. I want to hear it again. Rewind it again. I want to hear it again. Rewind it again. I want to hear it again. You, you feel the light affecting you, impacting you, and even though it hurts a little bit, you know it's good for you. You see that line in that book? You don't just highlight it. You reread it over and over again. You read before. You read after. You read it again. You make it one of those things that you want to repeat on a regular basis. Some people call that a mantra. Why? Because you want this particular light to keep coming in. Because you know that the outcome of it is good. If your soul is tuned in that fashion, you're in good condition in that particular issue. Doesn't mean that you're good everywhere else. It could be that that particular issue was regarding anger. And you aren't so weak with anger. You've already refined yourself to a certain extent. You just had a few things to tune up. So since you've already refined yourself, the second you got another, another screw to complete the installment, immediately you went after it. This will not change the other false uh, faults that you may have. You may still remain prideful, you may still remain stingy, you may still remain arrogant, you may still remain lazy, and so on and so forth. But the key is to identify the ones that you're strong in. Just like you have to identify the ones that you're weak in. Because if you see that this particular teaching is hitting something, that's good. That's good in that particular measure, that particular trait. But if you see that the book just said something, the lecturer just said something, it impacted most people, but for you, it didn't do anything. Instead of saying, I don't get it, or I don't understand what you guys are making a big deal out of, or I don't think what he's even saying is anything new. You should be concerned that over there, that klipa is much thicker. And therefore, that that divine light cannot enter. You have to break the klipa. This is why in our series that we did called Igeret Agra, in the letter that the Gaon Vilna wrote to his family, when he told his wife that if the children get to the point where they're using swear words, they're cussing, hit them, hit them without mercy. Because if they're already at a point that they're using such foul language, that means that they've developed a klipa, a spiritual shell on their soul that's connected to their speech. And since our speech is the way that we connect to Hashem, the way we pray to Hashem, the way we praise Hashem, the way we learn his Torah, we learn his Torah out loud. We cannot afford to have a klipa there. 
You have to hit them. Why hit them? Why can't I just tell them, don't do it again? No, no. If they're already swearing, that means that there's a klipa. And the only way to get such a klipa to break is by hitting it. If it was perhaps fresh language, but not quite cursing, if it was chutzpah, being rude, if it was other things, could be that speech, rebuke, would be sufficient. But if it already got to the point of swear words, requires a hit or two. Now, this is something that a person has to understand as part of their spirituality, where even though you can't see your klipa, you can't see your spiritual status, but certainly anyone that's honest with themselves knows that they feel that there are certain things that they're more inclined to do than others, even if they know that those inclinations are wrong. All people that are addicted to food know that their addiction is not good for them. People that are addicted to drugs, people that are addicted to smoking, people that are addicted to uh, immorality. Everyone knows this is not good. But they feel hopeless. They feel simply that it's beyond their ability to overcome, which is false. But it's still true that they feel that way. So the Chazonish is telling us here that if you see that there's two people or more that are learning the same Musar. One is changing, the other one isn't, or at least not as much. Don't say, oh yeah, this guy is stupid, the other one is smart, this one is evil, the other one is good. No, it's not necessarily true. Could be that they're weaker in this one particular issue, but they're stronger in another. But more than anything else, you have to know that this is not so critical where everybody stands now. It's what do they do from now? Meaning that whether they are receptive and are changing as a result of today or not is not necessarily as critical as whether they have enough willpower to continue. Because if a person continues learning, it's only a matter of time before they change but yet at the same token there are some people that you see they've learned musar four five six years they've read 20 30 50 books but they remained animals remained virtually unchanged or at least unchanged in certain things to such an extent that it seems as if they're unchanged altogether how could that be i had a woman call me one time years ago maybe six seven eight years ago from a very from community asking me if i can help her fix her husband of course my first question was who's your husband's rabbi and she says no no he's he's connected to all the big rabbis i said okay what does he do is he a rich man he goes no no he doesn't have any money Okay, we've connected to all the British rabbis and you're saying he's an animal you're saying he's uh scares the whole family to death you're saying that uh he's uh insane in so many words 
but he's connected to all the big rabbis okay so what does he do i can't figure out what he does for a living usually i can figure these things out but what does he do she says he's a rabbi i said excuse me no 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 not what his rabbi does what does he do he says he's a rabbi i said well perhaps he should stop teaching alacha maybe he should start learning musar she says no you don't understand he teaches musar I said, excuse me wait you're telling me he is a beast walking on two yelling and screaming at everybody yelling at you scaring you to death the kids are afraid to come out of their rooms sometimes there's violence but at the same token he's a speaker where he teaches musar to others she says yeah more or less says did he ever listen to my lectures she says no but he wouldn't I told him one time he should but uh, he laughed at me he said I read 45 Musar books I don't need to learn Musar I teach Musar so I said okay well sounds uh something wrong here so how could somebody read so many books about the same subject and not only not change seems like he got worse and of course this is not the only story I had one time a guy literally every other week he would tell me that he completed another book usually it was Musar books he loved them and uh he wants another book recommendation so I give him another book recommendation figured this is going to hold him up for another several months not another week passed by and he finished that book rabbi I need another book okay here's another book figure this guy studies day and night he's gonna be like a walking angel and book after book after book after book after book I figured the questions will change but interestingly enough the questions never changed the wasting seed never stopped the immorality never stopped the inclination to steal from people never stopped the arrogance and laziness never stopped but yet new books were bought he even asked them several times are you really reading these books he goes yeah and he sent me the pictures of his shelf full of these books and in the beginning it was mind-boggling to me that this young man is reading all these books but nothing's changing what are you unique is something wrong here maybe you're reading the book upside down backwards is that rabbi so-called rabbi is, is is he maybe misunderstanding everything it could be but it's even more the gemara in masechet shabbat page 31 has a story about hilela zaken hilela zaken is one of the examples that the sages use as someone that was so righteous each of us has to do as much as possible to learn his Torah and to emulate his behavior everyone knows the story of how he first started out where he would work just enough to make a uh, uh, enough to give half the money to go learn Torah and half the money for his family to eat but when it snowed one time and he wasn't able to chop the wood 
which was the way how he made a living, and he couldn't enter the Bet Midrash to go learn Torah, he climbed the roof. So he could hear his teachers, Shmaya and Avtalyon, despite the fact that the snow continued to fall on top of him, to the point where he had a near-death experience that to save his life on Shabbat when they saw that his body was not moving on the roof, when they discovered that he was even there. This very same Hillel became the Nasi, the prince of Am Yisrael. And the sages teach us that if one wants to be a servant of Hashem, emulate Hillel, and how he was humble how he was slow to anger there was one time two nasty people that had a little bit of money usually if a person has bad traits more money makes their traits become even worse and these two had a bet who can make Hillel angry because everyone knew can't make Hillel angry so one of them says i can make him angry yeah how much would you pay me he said i pay you uh 50 zoos call it fifty thousand dollars the other guy says nah pff, i can do it if you pay me a hundred thousand they go back and forth they settle at four hundred thousand four hundred zoos so the guy goes outside of Hilel's house and starts screaming who here is Hillel? Who here is Hillel? As if he doesn't know who Hillel is. As if nobody knows who Hillel is. He's screaming, Who here is Hillel? Have you heard of somebody named Hillel? And at this time, this is Friday afternoon, Hillel is getting ready for Shabbat. In those days, to get ready for Shabbat was much more difficult than today. You had to, you know, get water. You had to heat up the water in order to take a bath. It was a whole process. Hillel was already warming up the water. He stopped the water, stopped heating everything up so it doesn't evaporate, covers himself, goes outside. Yes, yes, my son, how can I help you? Who here is Hillel? He says in his face. He says, no, I, I am Hillel. I am Hillel. How can I help you, my son? He says, you're Hillel. He says, yes. Okay. Why is it that Asian people have their eyes slanted he led system where am i dear son and he gives them an explanation because of how they were from a certain uh, part of the uh, sons of uh, of um, noah and they also live at a certain part of the world with the sun and you know he gives them a whole explanation okay my son anything else the guy says no okay turns around closes the door Goes back to getting ready his bath. All of a sudden he hears again. Outside. Somebody's screaming. Who here is Hillel? Who here is Hillel? Have you seen Hillel? Do you know who Hillel is? I mean, he just saw him. But he pretends like he didn't. And he's screaming out as if there's an emergency. Looking for Hillel. Hillel, get dressed again. Goes outside. Yes, my dear son. How can I help you? Are you Hillel? As if he didn't just see him five minutes ago. Yes, I'm Hillel. How can I help you, my son? Why is it that the African people have legs that are stronger than white people? 
This is the question that he asked. Hillel, the Nasi. And Hillel patiently gives him an explanation based on the Torah, based on different things that we know. Are you happy with the answer? Anything else I can help you with? Guy says, no, I'm fine. Goes back in the shower, warms up the water again, and all of a sudden again the screams. Who here is Hillel? Who here is Hillel? I mean, already at the second time, I'm already losing my mind just telling the story. Imagine this thing continued for a half a dozen or a dozen times. Over and over again, the same guy screaming out as if he doesn't know who Hillel is. He doesn't refer to him as a rabbi. Nothing. No respect. Constantly pretending as if nobody knows who this person is. And then finally, when he gets his attention... He asks him some meaningless question. And he then patiently gives him the response until he's content with it. After doing this for a long time, the nasty man realizes there's no getting Hillel angry. Hillel just keeps answering with a smile. And the man says to him, Are you the one that they say Hillel doesn't get angry? He says, Yeah. Yes, my son. Ah! May they not make any more of you in the world. After all of what he did for this guy, responding to him patiently, even calling him my son, me i call him you know wayward son maybe not son but he says my dear son why do you say that what did i do to you do you say may there not be any more he he says because of you he i lost 400 zoos says, why did you lose 400 zoos my son he says because i had a bet that you get angry but you don't get angry Ah, Hillel says, ah, my dear son, it's best that you lose 400 zoos and Hillel not get angry. What is the meaning of this message? What is the meaning of this message? Of course, the story is entertaining. I don't think any of us could really live through it if we were one of, if we were the Hillel character. But... This true story, something that happened, obviously impacted enough people that it's being told for the last couple thousand years. And there's a lot more to the story than simply just, okay, he didn't get angry that one time. What is the meaning of the last sentence? It's best that you lost the 400th zoos and he did not get angry. The very same Hilin teaches us in the Mishnah, in Masechet Avot, the different rules of what it takes to be a teacher, to be a good student. And he says to us, what's required?
says that if you're a crude person, you cannot be a person that also fears sins. If you are a person that doesn't study, you're not going to be pious. Bashful person is not going to be able to learn. If you're short-tempered, you're not going to be able to teach successfully. If you're overoccupied with making money, certainly you cannot become a scholar. If there's no leader, you be a leader. But then he says about an experience that he had, something that happened. This is also mentioned in the Mishnah in Masechah Davot, chapter 2, the uh, seventh Mishnah, but also in the Gemara, Masechah Tzukah, page 53a, where he says that he once saw a skull, human skull, floating in the water. And he spoke to the skull as if it was alive. Sages say that he identified whose skull it is. He had Rocha Kodesh. He knew exactly whose skull this is. He knew it was a wicked person's skull who was a murderer. And he says to the skull, because you drowned others, they drowned you. And ultimately, those who drowned you will themselves be drowned. See here, Hillel shows that obviously it's not all, what can I do for you, my son? He's also rebuking. He's rebuking a wicked skull or a skull of a wicked person saying that you did this to somebody else and therefore this is what happened to you. You are a murderer. You got murdered. Now that part many people like. Why? Because if a person could look at the flaws of others all day instead of looking at their own flaws it makes listening to Musar much more pleasurable why because if each time the rabbi says that a Mechalel Shabbat goes to Genom and you happen to not be somebody that's a Mechalel Shabbat if the rabbi says somebody that is you know cheating on their uh, wife or their husband he's gonna go to Genom is terrible situation gonna go to kafakela has to be reincarnated as a dog all types of horrible things and the person is not an adulterer and they're not cheating on anyone so they're happy with this they enjoy this especially if they know somebody that's in that position they can show me listen you heard what the rabbi said you heard what he said right ah i would think twice before you call that girl back i would think twice and all of a sudden they become a little rabbi if they are a person teach about all types of negative traits that perhaps don't have much to do with them or even if they do they don't necessarily admit it but they certainly are more apparent in the person sitting next to them or in the person that's in their life a person that they know they're very quick to see hey you heard what the rabbi said right he said that if you pray with those people it's like idolatry he said that if you do that business it's like you're a thief he said that if you do such and such it's terrible he said that that community yeah you can't count them in minyan and you you heard what he said right i wasn't just me hearing it right and they're very quick to let everybody else know about their flaws 
And in, in their mind, hey, listen, I'm just spreading the Torah, Rabbi. I'm doing Kiruv. Now, theoretically speaking, they would be right. They're doing Kiruv. They're changing the world. They're spreading the Torah. So how come it doesn't work? Why is it that the Kiruv that those people do, where they tell everybody that they're all awful, they're all horrible, they're all terrible, this community is, you know, garbage, and that one is terrible, and this one's an idol worshiper, and they're constantly looking for the wrong in everything. Like, they're the first ones that find out about somebody that did something wrong. They're always on top of every scandal that's out there. They're like the Wall Street Journal of scandals in a Jewish community. They know everything and anything that has to do with anything wrong. Somehow they have time to listen to every speech under the sun. You're not even sure when they have time to breathe, needless to say, work. But they know about everybody else's problems. But yet, all of their sharing of this information, this so-called rebuke, doesn't help anybody. Why doesn't it work? In fact, how come they themselves don't change as a person when they are listening to Musar? The answer is, based on one of the clarifications that Rabbi Ephraim taught me, he said that when it comes to learning Torah, generally speaking, you should always learn with a chavuta. Always learn with a study partner, with a rabbi or with somebody that you're studying with. If you're learning halacha, if you're learning gemara, if you're learning the weekly parasha, you should learn with somebody. Except Musar. Musar, you learn by yourself. Why? Why is Musar so unique that you need to learn it yourself? This is because if a person learns Musar with the Chavuta, with somebody else, then what ends up happening is that they start thinking about all of the other person's flaws, not their own. And they figure, how do I help this, my friend? How do I help my study partner uh, realize that uh, he's too angry? How do I help my study partner realize that uh, he's really too stingy? How do I help him with such and such? Ah, let's see. Ah, you know what? I'll bring this Musar book that talks about this and I'll bring it up as an idea that I heard and make it as if it's like, you know, some new thing to me. So he'll hear it, he'll like it, and then he'll change. That sounds like a very wonderful thing. What a giving person. No, they're not a giving person. They're a hiding person. What they're doing is they're investing all of their time studying for the other person's sake and forgetting about looking at the flaws in themselves. See, instead of actually learning Musar to improve themselves, they're learning Musar in order to help their friend and thereby escape the reality that is theirs. This is why learning Musar with a partner is not a good idea. You have to learn it with yourself. And in fact, learn it in such a fashion where it forces you to see where the light is entering and where the light seems to be completely off. Now, 
this particular thief didn't think much of the fact that he's being annoying, he's being obnoxious. All he thought about is, I got 400 zoos on the line. I got to get this guy angry. Hillel taught him, you may have your mind on money so much that you're forgetting about the fact that you are, number one, addicted to materialism and thereby are pretty much, it's impossible to help you until you realize that you have this addiction and you're willing to get over it and remove it from your heart. Two, your addiction is causing a damage to society to such an extent that you don't even realize it. It's become second nature to you. Three, your addiction is so terrible, it's become your lifestyle. It's become pretty much second nature to you. Four, you've actually met other people just like you so much so that the, the disaster is so big that you don't even have a support group that can help you you are surrounded with people that are just as bad as you it's like befriending a bunch of crack addicts while trying to get over the addiction of crack it's just not going to work so you are in a horrible situation hence the reason why it's best for you to lose 400 zoos and he will not get angry why because if Hillel would have gotten angry, then you literally would be in a hopeless scenario because nobody would be able to help you. But since Hillel did not get angry, that means that Hillel can still help you, help you get over this addiction, help you get out of the situation that you're in. A person can be in such a situation where they're so addicted to their sins, so addicted to their flaws, that they don't even realize that these addictions are bad. It's like an alcoholic telling you, no, no, listen, I can still function, I still work, I still eat, I still do everything, but I'm a functioning alcoholic. As if it justifies the fact that they're an alcoholic. Same thing with other things, other addictions. They figure that if they're not killing anybody, therefore it's okay. No, you're killing yourself. The most important person in your life. That's already too much. And I promise you, you're killing a lot more people than you think. Because if you're not even noticing that you're killing yourself, you're certainly not noticing how many others you're killing with that behavior, with that addiction. Now, when a person is learning Musar, and he learned 40, 50 books, and he watched two, three, four hundred lectures, and nothing has changed, that means there's something wrong. Now, if the material has helped others, that alone is a proof that there's nothing wrong with the material. The Musar book has worked for the last thousand years. The Chovot Elevavot has worked perfectly well for the last thousand years. The Tiveo has worked perfectly for the last few hundred years. The Mesilat Yesharim has worked perfectly for the last 300 years. The Reshit Chokhmah has worked perfectly for the last 500 years. Sefer Dvarim, the book of Deuteronomy, has worked perfectly for the last 3,300 years. All of these wonderful books and many others have worked perfectly until now. So if it worked perfectly for so many others and it's not working for this one person, needless to say, if all of these books and all of these lectures are not working for this person, obviously it's not the content that's the problem. 
It's the person that's the problem. So how could it be? What do you tell him? You just, there's something wrong with you? Yes, but not necessarily you per se, but rather with the way that you're actually learning. Better learn a little Musar with Kavana than a lot without. There's a principle in Torah that it's better to do a little with full intention, with focus, than a lot without. Why? Because if a person reads a lot of books, like the cases that I gave you, real life cases, and I have many others, where a person reads 40 books, 50 books, 20 books, 10 books, quite frankly, if they read five books and nothing really changes, there's something wrong with the person, not with the books. And not wrong like that person is ultra evil, he's never going to change. No, no, it's that the person is simply not really acquiring this information they're just reading words they're just listening to words but they're not actually doing anything about it and sometimes people will actually very often they would be very proud of the fact that they read so many books and the reality is that if you actually acquired that knowledge the last thing you would have is pride whether it's reading those books or anything else because one of the things that the Mishnah in Masecha Davod says just a couple of Mishnayot after the one we just read is that if you learn much Torah don't be proud because lekach notzarta because for that you were created so if you're proud of the fact that you've read 30 40 50 60 70 80 books you didn't acquire the information you just read some words made some sentences but you didn't apply anything to your life. In fact, it would have been better off that you used the Shitat Novardok, the strategy of Novardok. Novardok by the Sabami Novardok, Rav Yoisel. He was one of the Talmidim of Rabbi Yisrael Misalant. But he was a unique person. His neshama was so refined. He was already a Talmud Chacham. He was already an extraordinary person when he met Rabbi Yisrael Misalant. And he himself says that he went to 13 lectures by Rabbi Yisrael Misalant. And that's all he needed for the rest of his life. 13 lectures. Changed the entire planet that we live in today. And it all started when he was on a business trip going to sell some trees. And Rabbi Yisraeli Salant that met him said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to sell these trees. He says, okay, so what are you doing? He says, I'm going to sell the trees. Rabbi Yisraeli Salant says to him, no, no, what are you doing to prepare for Allah Abba? That's how it started. His pure soul understood the message, the depth of the message from Rabbi Yisraeli Salant. He got off the next station, got to the train, going back home, sold all of his possessions, and dedicated the rest of his life to learning Musar and teaching it. And Israel of Yosef Yoizel, the Sabamina Vardok, 
opened over 80 yeshivot while he was alive and hundreds and hundreds more were opened by his students and he had different places called Bate Musar, houses of Musar. That's what the way his, his yeshivot were called, a Bet Musar. Hashem, one of the things we're trying to build. And they had a unique strategy. Sure, they learned Alacha and they learned Gemara and they were Talmidecha Chamim, like you would never believe. And one of the examples of both is this. There was one time a young man was a little troubled was sent to go be part of this Bet Musar. Maybe he'll get refined a little more and show up on time and be more zealous for mitzvot, more adamant about learning Torah. And this little Yankale went and he was told to go to a certain Bet Knesset. Bet Midrash and see if the Talmud that's over there can help him. So, little Yankale went and he shows up at the place and he uh, sees the place is empty. So he waits, but then he hears a voice of a man, but on the women's side, crying crying and crying crying to Hashem and repeating the same line over and over again grab it take it take the mitzvot while you still can you're still alive grab them take them take the mitzvot while you're still alive grab them take them take the mitzvot while you're still alive over and over again with complete devotion hour after hour after listening to this he never saw the face but he could recognize the voice from a mile away this changed his life that little yankale realized that it's time for him to change to take the Torah much more seriously to make something of himself and make something of himself was exactly what he did as he became Rav Yaakov Galinsky but the one thing that he wanted to know more than anything else was who is that who said that who made that one particular statement so many times that it literally not only engraved their heart but it engraved mine and they said to him that's young man they call him Rab Yaakov Israel Kanievsky later on will be known as the stipler Gaon who also had a son that was a Gaon of Kanievsky and he made him his rabbi now these geniuses these holy people came out of the yeshivat Novardok 
And one of the things that they would do is not just speed read the books or even read it in normal speed. They would take specific teachings and dig into them. Dig into them and try to completely enamor themselves in this single line, two lines, this one page, this one paragraph, depending on the level of the student. They weren't so interested in completing the book as much as they were interested in engraving this teaching into their heart. And that's why they became giants in Torah more than anything else. While others could read their books but remain small people that will make nothing of themselves. Same material, different results. One engraved that information into their heart. Another person, the only thing they could say for themselves, they read the book. But they remained the same. So when a person is learning Torah, of course, there are times that you have to do things more deep than others. Musar is one of those places. Where everything should be learned in such a fashion where you are literally making sure you understand what's being said. Relevance to yourself more than the person that's next to you or the person that's in your life. The average person that learns Musar will sometimes lose themselves in what they're learning when they find something that's not relevant to them because they spend so much more effort trying to figure out how they can bring this point to other people they know this is relevant to you. If we only spend as much time on the things that are relevant to us to improve ourselves, we would certainly be better for it. So one of the things that we learn already is when it comes to Musar, don't be a bookworm. Don't be one of those people who just completes books, completes books, but ends up with nothing in their hand. If you see that this book has been read, but not much has changed, there's something wrong, and it's not the book. Now, one of the places that you see this most apparent is when people are looking for a shiduch. They're looking for a wife or a husband. Years ago I said, we don't have a shiduch crisis, we have a midot crisis. And the statement was more true than I could possibly imagine. Because although there's many young men and many young women and older men and older women all wanting to get married for whatever reason or another they don't want to get married to each other everyone always wants to marry somebody they can't marry or someone that's not interested in marrying them but yeah when you offer people oh what about this one what about that one There's, they always find something wrong in them oh no this one is not pretty enough this one is not skinny enough this one is not fat enough this one's not hungry enough this one's not this enough that enough this one is a different community this one is a different profession and quickly do people just tear apart resumes of how everybody is simply not good enough for them? 
If people only did the same thing to themselves, they'd cry themselves to sleep after they would hear themselves talk about themselves. And the truth is that people don't realize that there's their criticism is much more harsh on others than it is on themselves. I had a uh, person tell me that they want help with a shidduch. Now, again, I'm not a shatchan. I've helped a few people here and there by connecting them to people, but it's not what I do for a living. It's not what I want to do for a living. If I can help somebody, I'm more than happy to. But generally speaking, I tell people, you need to find somebody that does this for a living. At least they'll have the motivation, the time. But again, if somebody asks enough times and I could possibly help, I say, fine, send me the resume. If I could have something, sure, just don't depend on me or anything like that. Go find somebody else. And if I have somebody that could help you, I could help you. And Baruch Hashem, we found somebody that could help some people and they've succeeded in making a few matches. Baruch Hashem. But every time I get these resumes, I always laugh to myself saying, are they as critical about other people as they are about themselves as they are about other people? And I had this one time, guy tells me, listen, I don't know what to do, Rabbi. I listen to the lectures, I'm from keeping everything, but uh, the only types of uh, girls that I'm uh, being offered are these modern orthodox girls that are not really so from, they're not so uh, modest, and uh, it's just not my level. I want a Haredi girl. I said, well, Baruch Hashem, he wants a Haredi girl, and he wants, uh, he wants all the right things. He's like, yeah, I want... Uh, you know, someone that uh, supports Torah, someone that loves Torah, someone that loves Hashem. Psh, fantastic. Why Why would it be so hard to find a shidduch like this? He knows what he wants. He wants somebody from him. Why would anybody offer him somebody less? I, I didn't understand it. Okay, fine. I'll pray for you. I'll, if I find somebody, I'll let you know. Okay. Some time passed, and he complained again. Rabbi, I don't understand. They keep sending me these, like, these not religious girls, these girls that are, you know, they keep Shabbat, but not so much else. I didn't understand. What do you mean? Why? What's wrong? What is wrong with these Shatcharim? Did you tell them you want a Haredi girl? And he says, yeah, I told them. And what did I say to you? He says, no Haredi girl will ever date you. I said, what? What a Shatchutzpan? What kind of Shatchan do you have? Why would they say such a thing? He says, because I like to go to the movies. I said, excuse me? Yeah, I like to go to the movies. I like watching movies and uh, sports. And uh, they said that uh, no Haredi girl will ever uh, want to date somebody like me. I said, ah, Baruch Hashem, do you have such Shatchanim? They're great Shatchanim. You should listen to them. No Haredi girl will ever date you. You're right. It's like, wow, Rabbi, you're on their side? It's like, not that side. You're delusional to think that you're going to be able to watch movies, uh, you know, uh, play uh, video games, uh, live pretty much a secular life, pretending that you're actually religious because you keep Shabbat, while your wife is like Sarayimenu, no TV, no movies, no nothing, she's modest and everything else. No, 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 Habibi. It doesn't work that way. All you've become is like a Jewish Arab. That's all you've become. You know, they, you look a certain way, but you act a completely different way. There's these guys where 
they want to pretend like they're religious, but only because they want to like, you know, bring the women down, just pretty much tell them what to do. You're not allowed this, you're not allowed this, but they themselves are allowed to do everything like the Arabs do to their women. You know, the women have to be covered from head to toe, literally cover their face, cover their arms, cover everything, which is very good. But the guys, you see them, they're watching everything, they're doing everything, they're drinking everything, they're doing everything they want. What gives? How could this be? Why is the guy allowed to look like this and she has to look like this? How does this work? Oh, that's the false religion. Don't make Judaism that too. You want her to be tzaddikah, charidit, no TV, no immodesty, no uh, pornography, no filth, no nothing. You have to do the same thing. You have to do the same thing. So you see, it wasn't the Shatchan that was something wrong. It was you. And then one time I even told the guy. I'm like, listen. You realize that you're 30 years old. And you're still playing video games. You're not going to find any normal girl. That wants to marry you if you're still playing video games and you're 30 years old you may find i don't know some teenager you may find a, an older woman that you know acts like a teenager but you're not going to find a normal human being that wants to marry you and you're still playing video games and it's not like you could say oh no it's my profession i'm making millions of dollars because of it no you're just a loser that plays video games at 30 years old in your mom's house that's all you are so you're not going to find anybody normal i'm just letting you know you have to stop if you want to find somebody normal and build like a, a house like a with kids and not be the kid in the house you know what he tells me rabbi i don't think i could stop <laughs> i don't think i could stop and i say to myself ay 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 the addiction is so strong that the person has convinced themselves that they need it they need the movies they need the video games but yet they also need somebody that lives without it like it's just a delusional mindset from here we see that a person could literally watch read live with musar in the background at all times but yet be a person that is disobeying it and mocking it on a regular basis the reason why Hillel said to that skull, you did this and therefore it happened to you, is to remind us that we are the outcome of our own actions. If you act against the Torah, those things will happen to you too. If you act in accordance to the Torah, those things will happen to you also. Good things will happen to you. Now, if you're watching this lecture or others, you're reading Musar books, if you're looking at yourself, then they'll impact you in a positive way. If you're looking at everybody else, it'll only hurt you. It won't help you. And unfortunately, many times you see that there are people that are more in tune in lectures or books that talk about other people, talk about other things, are part of some fight, some argument. They love the lectures where I expose one of the wicked people. But when it comes down to 
fixing themselves you see them staying the same exact person as they were for two three four five years they've been watching nothing has changed they've turned the teachings into entertainment and there's nothing more sad than that because they don't even realize there's anything wrong with it so the is something that a person has to look for if they want change but this light is dimmed by the klipa that a person has this klipa can only be removed if it's broken by the musar teachings the very same musar teachings that create this now the klipa is created due to the sins addictions and inclinations that a person has turned into natural now hashem says open for me a opening like the eye of a needle and i will open for you gates for a banquet hall the Baalei Musar ask why did Hashem use the eye of the needle as the example why not a different small opening could be an opening of a door a window why the eye of a needle because while all other openings could be open on one side and closed on the other the window is open on one side but there's a wall behind it the door is open on one side but there's a wall behind it the eye of a needle is open on both sides because if it wasn't open on both sides in the way that it is in the world that it lives in the size that it is then of course you wouldn't be able to put the string through and you wouldn't be able to sew even if you have the best string and you have the best needle but the eye is incompletely open Hashem says if your opening to me is complete then I can completely help you I could open up the gates of heaven for you but if your openings for me are incomplete your openings are somewhat open partial open it's impossible to help you because you're not letting the light in in the sefer called all for the boss the life story of Rav Yaakov Yosef Helman. Allah Shalom. We had Baruch Hashem the fortune of helping his granddaughter do tshuva and get married, Baruch Hashem, to one of our early Talmudim years ago. This famous book has uh, certainly helped quite a few people learn about the tzaddik. And one of the stories about Rav Helman. His daughter tells that uh, you know our father was usually very happy and had a uh, pleasant face, but one time he came out of his study room with a very stern face. And his daughter asked him, "Abba, what happened?" Our father says to her, "For the last half hour, I've been trying to shed one pure tear." over the destruction 
of the Bet Midash and the status of Am Yisrael and where we are today. A half hour for one tear? No, no, no. A half hour for one pure tear. What's a pure tear? It says that Esav, when he found out that he lost a blessing to Yaakov, he cried two tears. Two pure tears of sorrow over the situation that he was in, over what happened. And the Midrash says that those two tears destroyed both Bet Mikdash, the first and the second one. Had he cried a third tear, it would have destroyed the world. Chachamim say, we know that Nebuchadnezzar, Rasha, destroyed the first Bet Mikdash. The merit that he had was that he honored Hashem by chasing after the mailman to rewrite the words of the king he was working for before he became king. He was just a scribe. And he walked three steps in order to get the mailman until Malach Gabriel stopped him. And because of that, we take three steps back before we pray. The Tfilat Shmonaisa, the Amidah. So that much merit was given to him that he became king, the most powerful king in the world, the most powerful king that will live until Mashiach himself comes for those three steps. Esav got so much for shedding two tears over losing the blessing. Hashem gives so much in this world for just a little bit of recognition of his Torah, of his holiness. How much will he give us for a whole life long of doing it? But yet, we see that we undo what Nebuchadnezzar did by taking the three steps back each time we pray. How many of us are crying at least one pure tear for the destruction of the Bet Mikdash. And you can say, wait, on Tisha B'Av I cry. Tikkun Chatzot I cry. Different times I cry over the destruction of the Bet Mikdash, or at least that's what the book says. So Rav Herman says to us, for a half hour he tried to cry a single one pure tear for the sake of the destruction of the Bet HaMikdash. What is he really teaching us? That while Esav, the wicked Esav, cried two pure tears for the last 2,000 years, we have yet to succeed in crying even a single tear that's pure, that doesn't have an agenda, they have our own desires tied into it. Where, yes, we may cry for the Bet Mikdash, but also because our own position in life, our own situation, our own benefit out of it. 
There's always some type of bias. There's always some type of agenda. And I'm not trying to put a obligation on anyone or make everyone look bad, but this is, includes all of us. What is this like? There was one time in the days where banking wasn't as, uh, as it is today, many, many centuries ago, people would deposit their money with one of the people in the uh, community, usually was the richest man in town, he would hold everybody's money. And one of the Chachamim decided one day to go to him and say, please, can I have all my money back? And sure, take your money. It wasn't much money. He gave him all his money back. Two days later, the rich man that was holding everybody's money declared bankruptcy. Lost all of his money. Everybody came to the Chacham. How did you know? Did you, did you have Ruch HaKodesh? How did you know? How did you take the money out in time? He says, I didn't know anything about what his situation was. But what I do know is that I know this guy for a long time. And he's the last guy to ever be interested in the state of the exile, in the situation of Mashiach, and anything to do with it. He's busy with his business. But the other day, I saw him, and people were talking, and somebody says, yeah, you know, Bezot Hashem, Mashiach will come. And he responded, yeah, I can't wait for Mashiach. Why didn't he just come already? At that moment, I realized, oh, he cares about Mashiach? Something's wrong. Something's wrong with him. Let me just be safe and take my money out. Meaning that even if somebody says, yeah, Mashiach now, and a person says, yeah, I can't wait for the Bet HaMikdash to be built, is it really because you want the Mashiach to come to sanctify Hashem's name with or without you? Is it really because you want the third Bet HaMikdash to be built in order to sanctify Hashem's name, bring out all of the righteous, even if that doesn't include you? Is it really for the glory of Hashem's name and not just to relieve you of some of the debt and problems that you have? So the truth is that the reason why we don't have these pure tears is that we're too tied to our own agenda, to our own bias. And when a person works on themselves by learning more and more Musar, that connection to materialism, that connection to your own self-bias, little by little gets broken. You start separating yourself from your own interests. You start looking at things for what they are. You start giving people advice based on their circumstance without necessarily yours being part of it. As one of the Chachamim said that, you know, one person, a butcher came to him and told him that he has a problem, he has a contract with a town and the uh, town wants to fire him because they don't like the way that he's doing the job. And the town came and told him, yeah, we want to fire this guy. We want you to give us advice what to do. So after he spoke to each one of them individually, both were expecting to come to terms only to find out that there's no, nothing changed. So the city people came to the Chafetz Chaim, or to the, yeah, I think it was the Chafetz Chaim, and said to him, wait, Kodarab, you spoke to him, right? He said, yes. So he still doesn't want to quit. He still doesn't want us to fire him. And you told us that it's good for, for us to fire him. Yes, it is good for you to fire him. Yeah, but he doesn't want to quit. Didn't you talk to him? He said, I did talk to him. 
So what happened? I told him not to quit. I told him not to let you fire him. Why? He says, because to you, based on what you explained to me, that you're not happy with the work, I told you the best thing for you is to get rid of this contract and fire him if he allows you to get out of the contract. But to him, based on his age, based on the other opportunities that are available to him, I told him, no, you should stay with this contract because you're not going to get anything better than this. You should not quit. I gave each of you the advice that's best for you. I didn't give you advice based on, you know, just one of your benefits or my personal opinion of it. Even more so on ourselves. When a person starts taking the Musar that they're learning internally rather than externally, rather to the people around us, they're going to start realizing that much of the information that's being taught is for you and not for your friend. It may be also for your friend, but for you first. And just like any of us that have been on an airplane, that hears that uh, message in the beginning, where they tell you in case of an emergency, the uh, machine oxygen uh, is going to come down. And if you have a baby, that you have to put the mask on them. Make sure to put the mask on yourself first, then the child. Your natural inclination will tell you to put it on the child first. But every single airport will tell you, no, 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 you first, then the kid. Why? If you put it on the kid, you may end up saving the kid momentarily, but you surely could die. And eventually that puts the risk at the kid at an additional risk to die also. If you put it on yourself, you increase the chance that both of you will survive. If you're learning Musar for the sake of other people, you're not going to succeed in anyone, in helping anyone. If you learn Musar for your own sake, for you to learn, not for you to see what's wrong with everybody else, then you'll be able to succeed in helping others. If you're constantly finding what's wrong with everybody else, if all you could find, if your mental scanner is constantly finding all of the wrong in everybody else, you could be sure that you're not learning Musar for its sake, for the sake of yourself. You're learning it for the sake of expressing your pre-existing arrogance, expressing your pre-existing bad traits. And you're not using the Musar like it's supposed to be used. When a person learns Torah with a Chavuta, he certainly is going to grow more because that Chavuta is going to bring up questions that you may not have thought of when it's relating to Alacha, when it's relating to the parasha. And that's what you need to learn with that Chavuta, with that study partner. But when you're learning Musar, you don't need that. You don't need somebody else to come up with something new. Because there's so much in the text or the lecture itself that if you simply repeated one of the sentences for the next six hours, it'll become engraved into your heart to the point that it'll change your life. You don't need anybody to help you with that. You don't need any new clever idea to come up from that. You could just simply pick any sentence from that book any sentence from that lecture and engrave it into your heart and that will do more 
than anybody else's new insight can do for you. Whereas if you listen to everybody else's ideas, you'll forget about the ultimate purpose, which is to understand the basics. Now, Musar affects everyone. The teachings themselves affect everyone. How much is dependent on the thickness of the klipa that a person has? If a person allows the teachings to affect them, then Hashem doesn't need to get involved. But if a person doesn't allow Hashem to, to the teachings to affect him, then Hashem usually has to get involved. The Gemara in Maseret Bab Metzia, page 24, says that Marzutra, one of the sages, was once being hosted with his students at some family's house, well-to-do family, and uh, one of their prized possessions was a Gavia, a, uh, like a, a mug, like a kiddush cup. That was full, you know, gold with jewelry or with the jewels on it. And uh, throughout the night, everyone was enjoying themselves until the hostess realized that the kiddush cup is gone. Of course, there were many guests. And many of them were the rabbi and his students. How do you question them? I mean, these are all religious Torah people. Everyone's looking, maybe he fell, maybe this, maybe that. They couldn't find it. Well, you can't let this ruin the whole Shabbat, the whole holiday. You have to continue. But Marzutra continued looking. Not behind the closets or the chairs, but rather in the people and how they behaved. And one time he saw one of his students going to wash his hands. Before you eat bread, you have to wash your hands. Three on the right, three on the left. And he washed his hands and apparently the towel was missing. Maybe the guy before him took it with him, forgot that he has to return it. Whatever it was, there was no towel. And of course, there's no towel. The normal thing to do is to maybe ask for a towel. He didn't do that. What did he do? He saw that there's a jacket hanging on the wall of one of his, one of the other guys in the, in the uh, yeshiva that's there. And he took the jacket and started wiping his hands on the jacket. Immediately, Malzutra, the holy sage, pointed at him and said, he's the thief, he's the thief, he's the thief, get him. Everybody ran over there, listening to the rabbi, piled on this guy. Some say they even gave him a few nice love taps to convince him to admit that he's a thief. The rabbi doesn't say nothing for no reason. And he did admit that he is the thief. And he stole the expensive Kiddush cup. After he admitted, he brought the cup out. Everything settled. They asked the rabbi, how did he know? You have Ruch Kodesh, Divine intervention? The rabbi says, no. We learned from our teachers 
that if you disrespect your friend's property, then it's only a matter of time before you make that property or anybody else's property yours too. It's another form of disrespect. When I saw that he is disrespecting his fellow's jacket, I knew that he would also disrespect his hostess' house and possessions and everything else. There's nothing, there's no boundaries. One bad trait could easily lead to another and develop. If a person doesn't allow Musar to come in, the downside here is that it's not that the light will simply disappear. It's that the klipa will continue getting thicker and thicker. And with each layer of thickness, the traits of a person become worse. The negativity of that person become worse. The negative impact on their world around them becomes worse. Their disconnection to Hashem becomes greater. In so many words, everything gets worse. And Hashem has to get involved and break the person. Whether it's through a sickness, financial loss, major hardship, something. But some people smart enough to know that you don't need to wait for Hashem to break you. You just need to pay attention to the details. There was a story that was published a few days ago by a Jewish organization named Hidabut about one of the wonderful people that we helped do tshuva Hashem, still a wonderful student to this day. A uh, woman by the name of Karmit Ruven. No family relations, but same last name as us. And this woman, she was a... Uh, born in a kibbutz knew nothing of torah and judaism despite being in israel a whole life the kibbutz they teach you communism they teach you things that are against the torah antithetical to the torah even when they teach you as she says stories about the tanakh they teach you in such a fashion that it's more like a storybook that has no connection to torah and mitzvot it's just simply characters but this woman became a well-known journalist for a place called Kol Israel and eventually reporting the news of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force. After she met some rabbis, some religious figures in her life, she also saw that her sister started doing tshuva, which was a big shock to the family. She started learning you know, that the religious people were not as bad as uh, she thought. And she learned some more things and she realized that there is certainly a lot more to the Torah than what she knew. Eventually, it got her to start keeping Shabbat. But the moment somebody would say to her, are you religious? She says, no, no, no. You can still consider me a secular person to keep Shabbat. Meaning the traits have not changed. The behavior has not changed. The viewpoints have not changed much. She still wants to be a famous journalist and 
in the world of secularism but you know she likes this mitzvah and a few others and there's no problem in her mind that this is the case many times you'll see Balet Shabbat start a certain way and you figure oh wow they're growing fast they're already keeping Shabbat and keeping kosher and they grew a beard and wow fantastic all in a, a year or two years and you figure that by the time this guy gets to 10 years by the time this woman gets to 10 years they'll be like the greatest righteous person of the generation but only to find out that 10 years have passed and they're exactly where they were eight years ago nothing has changed they grew and the growth plateaued and stayed exactly the same and nothing has changed for another five years another 10 years and sometimes it even deteriorated in so many words this was the same case with her she started keeping some mitzvot but she in our mind and even in our speech she's still a secular person but she kept some mitzvot when did this all change the article says that her sister who became already Haridi for several years and was very serious asked her for a favor she said can you please come to me for uh, Yom Kippur I'm sick I can't go to the shul so I'm gonna be at home all day and I don't want to be home by myself come by for Yom Kippur she said fine she went to her and for her Yom Kippur was not exactly the most special day going to shul or anything like that so but she said fine I'll go to my sisters what's the big deal for her sister Yom Kippur was Yom Kippur whether it's at the shul or not is irrelevant Yom Kippur was Yom Kippur there's a day we do tshuva we cry to Hashem we say I'm sorry for all the misdeeds that we've made and that's exactly what her sister was doing she took her machzal and she started praying and eventually got to the tachnun the vidui where she says all the things that she did all the things that we did we say I'm sorry to Hashem for the sins that we did without knowing for the sins that we did knowing but still doing for the sins that we did intentional just to make Hashem angry for the immorality with self for the immorality with somebody else for the immorality in our minds for the immorality in our speech for stealing for lying for and on and on and on and all types of immorality crimes one of the main things that is this that is something we all apologize for endlessly during Yom Kippur is sexual immorality go look at the vidui on the Yom Kippur you'll see literally every single single word is, is is connected to it in some way or another in regards to Kedusha wasting seed homosexuality pornography adultery and so on now while her sister is saying all this and crying hysterical mrs karmit Rouven is listening to this and saying to herself wait everything she's saying I did all of that why is she crying and I'm not crying why is she crying over those sins and I know I did them but I'm not crying and that's when the klipa broke enough 
to let a little bit of light come in and say, Giveret Kalmit, it's time you learn more and do more with what you learn. And Baruch Hashem at that point, she decided to take things more seriously. She went and joined some other women that were learning and Baruch Hashem, we had the Siyat Nishmai to be one of the rabbis along with Rabbi Ephraim that they learned from. They would watch our shiurim with a group of people and Baruch Hashem eventually on their own. Today you can see our, their comments on many of our shiurim, many of Rabbi Ephraim's shiurim. And instead of becoming an even more famous journalist, an even more famous newscaster, an even more famous celebrity, she abandoned all of that and built a family instead with beautiful holy children and a husband that are all from, that are all learning Torah, that are all connected and glued to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that are all acquiring everything she did not have as a child. But that is giving her more happiness in a single hour than she had for the first 30 years of her life. But it didn't come without some difficulty, without some reality checks, without that klipa that convinced her for a while that you can be secular but still keep Shabbat. You can still have the secular mind, but still, uh, you know, keep some mitzvot. No. If you're going with Hashem, you have to keep growing. If you see that you're not growing because your spouse continues to complain about that anger and that stinginess and that arrogance and whatever other character flaw that you have, if you see that your customers are complaining about that too, and you see that your boss is complaining about that too, if you see that your behavior itself is not changing at all or much, that means that whatever you're learning is not impacting you. And instead of quickly thinking, oh, I should change teachers, I should change books. No, no, no. You don't need to change teachers. You don't need to change books. You need to change the way you learn from those teachers. And from those books. The prayer didn't have to change. In order for Giveret Kermit to understand that it affects her. The speech doesn't have to change. The book doesn't have to change. In order for you to understand that it affects you. And that's what we have to repeat for the third time. If you're watching for the sake of looking for things that you can use on your friends to insult others, to rebuke others, then you've missed the whole point of Musar. If at the end of every single lecture, you have not taken one thing at least to improve your life, then you have turned the Torah into a poison for you instead of a potion of life you've turned it into a potion of death because you're trying to use it as a axe to hurt others instead of appeal to remove that klipa that's on you each and every single lecture just like each and every single line in a book is supposed to impact you if it doesn't, there's nothing wrong with the book. 
There's something wrong with your understanding of it. There's something wrong with the way you're reading it. Musar is not like Alacha. Musar is not like the weekly Palasha. Musar is not like anything else. Musar works all the time. If it's not working, it's not the Musar that's at fault. And that's in essence what the Chazonish is trying to teach us. That if you're reading with a goal of completing your daily Musar page, the quantity, you're missing the whole point. If you're looking to complete the lecture just to say, I watched this lecture, you're missing the whole point. You could be watching lectures for five years and stay the same animal that you've been. Why? It's not the speaker's fault. It's that you're not letting it in. You're not letting it in. So if a person wants the ultimate answer to the question of how to change our natural inclinations, our natural inclinations that are ruining our lives, the simple truth is you have to learn Musar for your own sake to improve you, not the world around you. Many times people tell me how they're trying to help everybody else and that's good and noble. So long as you are helping yourself at least five times more. But if you're not helping yourself, if you're still staying the same, then even if you try to help everybody else, it won't work. And one of the reasons is, is because HaKadosh Baruch Hu only gives the ability to help others with this specific issue to people that have the merit. Meaning that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not going to simply let anybody be the one that benefits out of every single mitzvah that another person will ever do because you've helped them do tshuva. He's going to give it to somebody that has the merit to acquire such a thing. Now, if somebody is a thief, but he wants to help somebody else stop stealing, Hashem is obviously not going to allow that to work. Why? Because if that person stops stealing, that certainly goes to whoever convinced him to stop stealing. That merit now becomes a mitzvah. Every time he doesn't steal, goes to the credit to whoever helped him. Now, if the person himself is still stealing, that could negate his own sins. It won't work. It'll ruin the whole measure-for-measure system. So this is the reason why Hashem is not going to allow such a thing to happen. The key is to understand that if you're learning Musar for your own sake, Hashem will give you a lot of opportunities to help others. If you're not learning Musar for your own sake and you simply just assume that you know everything and that you're doing enough and that you've grown enough, then eventually Hashem has to speak to you. And usually when He tries to, when He rebukes, it hurts a lot more. We'll finish off with a story that puts everything into perspective. The Baal Shem Tov, Allah Shalom, 
So the story once of a poor woman that went around collecting charity from different people. And anytime somebody would give her something, she would say this statement that is in essence the totality of everything we've learned today by saying everything that a man does everyone everything that a man does he does not for others but rather for himself so from a super uh, superficial point of view it looks like she's ungrateful somebody gives her some charity some staka instead of her saying thank you she says everything that a person does he doesn't do for others but rather he does it for himself meaning you're benefiting yourself out of giving me tzedakah a little odd and people would notice this and many times ignore it there's this weird thing this lady says one day the queen sees this woman and decides to give her some charity and the woman says the same thing everything that a person does he doesn't do it for anyone other than himself he doesn't do it for others and the queen found this odd but she didn't say anything you know poor person is already suffering as it is and some time passed and the woman came back and she gave her some charity again and the woman said the same thing everything a man does he doesn't do for others he does for himself and she became almost like a regular at the queen's palace getting this charity and saying this statement over and over again until the queen really got annoyed annoyed from this message instead of learning from the message instead of asking the point of the message clarification of the message she simply rejected the message apparently her klipa was too thick to accept the musar that was supposed to be for her and one day she decided that along with the charity that she's going to give this lady she's also going to have her staff make a special loaf of bread full of poison that'll quiet her in our statement and that's what happened the woman came she received her charity and then she was given a loaf of bread a loaf of bread that looked beautiful majestic from the queen's palace and the woman was very happy and she said the same exact statement as usual everything a man does he doesn't do for others he does for himself and she went home and she was so happy about this loaf of bread that she wanted to savor it she didn't really want to eat it right away because she was just so happy that she got something else a gift such a beautiful piece of bread from the palace at the same time the prince the queen's husband our queen's uh, son was uh hunting and as they were hunting eventually they got tired they looked for a place to rest and they saw a little house 
And the prince said, okay, let's stop by this house. Maybe they could give us some rest, a place to rest, maybe some food. And whose house is it? It's this poor lady's house. And of course, as soon as the prince came, the woman identified who he is. She knows his mother. She's very happy with his mother right now after she gave her this piece of bread. And she said, listen, it's just glad that you're here. You seem hungry. I'm happy to, to host you. Please have a seat. She gave him a drink. Would you like something to eat? He said, of course. Oh, here's bread from your mother's house. And of course, the prince quickly jumped on his bread, but after two bites, he fell down and died. Immediately, the woman ran away from the soldiers. No one knew what happened here. No one could even explain it. All they knew is that their prince is dead. And the woman ran away. And she ran to the queen to tell her exactly what happened. When the queen heard this, she fell down, passed away, passed, uh, passed out. And after a few moments, she woke up, gained her consciousness again and her mindset and looked at the woman and says to her, now I understand the truth of that message that you keep saying, that everything man does, he does not for others, but rather for himself. A person that's learning Musar for the sake of others is not going to gain anything from it nor is anyone else but a person that is learning Musar for their own sake can certainly be the one that receives the light as well as projects it everywhere else Yiratzon that each and every single one of us has the inclination to do what's good for ourselves as much as we do to do good for others. And even more so, it has the strength to overcome whatever obstacles in front of us, whether it be ego or otherwise, that's stopping us from really accepting Musar that we all need to hear, including the speaker himself. Thank you very much for learning with me. Bezat Hashem will learn again later on this week. Kol Tuv, Bachavat Slacham.